Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Today on the show, we're going to introduce you to the, to the 2017 North Carolina Teacher of the Year, Lisa Godwin from Onslow County. We'll discuss the state of the teaching profession with her and what she plans to focus on as our state's Teacher of the Year. We're also going to preview an upcoming education forum hosted by the North Carolina NAACP that will focus on how best to support our most challenged students and schools. Joining us for that discussion is North Carolina NAACP Executive Director, Dr. Terrence Ruth, and North Carolina desegregation legend and longtime educator, Dr. Dudley Flood, all on today's show. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. State School Superintendent Mark Johnson will have to wait at least another month before assuming greater control over the state's public schools. A three-judge panel granted a request by the State Board of Education to continue a stay on implementation of the law passed in December, giving Johnson more power. In its request, the board cited major disruption if the transition were to occur, only to be struck down later as unconstitutional. Johnson, seen here left with Bill Covey, strongly disputed that contention and said the state board is simply defending the status quo. The state's new North Carolina Innovation School District is set to begin taking over operation of some of the state's lowest performing schools. Got some serious pushback last week from two school districts. Durham Public Schools and Johnston County Schools both sent letters asking for their schools to be removed from consideration. Durham School Board Chair Mike Lee said their own initiative to transform these schools would be derailed by including them in this experiment and that residents would not support the loss of local control. ISD Superintendent Dr. Eric Hall, who was on the show just a few weeks ago, did announce that seven schools have been removed from consideration because existing federal support would be in jeopardy if the schools are handed over to a charter operator. The new principal pay plan and K-3 class size mandate passed by the General Assembly this year has created a firestorm across North Carolina. Many of our state's veteran school principals are facing steep pay cuts under the new plan. Wake County Schools, for example, reports that 30% of its principals lose salary under a plan that was championed as a pay raise. We are focusing on that topic next week here on the show. The class size mandate that we covered last week is having more direct impact in classrooms already, with schools reporting fourth and fifth grade classrooms with more than 30 kids, two classes combined in one classroom with two teachers, and the transition of art and music classrooms to rolling carts. Finally, U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos may have arrived in D.C. with plans for a new federal school choice program, but so far she's getting very little support from Congress to implement any of it. To date, lawmakers have refused to fund any of the private school voucher and charter school programs included in President Trump's budget, and just this week word came out that the tax credit voucher plan will not be included in this fall's expected tax reform package. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we have a very special guest joining us in studio. She is the North Carolina Teacher of the Year for 2017, Lisa Godwin from Onslow County. I think shout out to Dixon Elementary School. Yeah, in shout out to the Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, we, we've had uh, Teachers of the Year on our program before, but I want to remind our viewers when you're, for first, congratulations. But, Thank you. But part of that role is um, you will be out of the classroom for a year. I will. Uh, traveling across the state. Um, 
talking to a lot of folks. So tell me <laughs> what your focus for the upcoming year is going to be. Well, you know, my message changes with each audience. Uh, you know, if I'm, I'm speaking to beginning teachers, I want to encourage and inspire. Um, if I'm speaking to veteran teachers, I want to continue to ask them to rededicate themselves to the profession, uh, to the stakeholders like community members. Uh, I'm encouraging them to invest in our, our students and in our schools. So uh, the core message is always going to come back to the kids uh, wherever I go. And I'm just having a, a really great time meeting different people and, and really getting the word out about uh, what a wonderful job our teachers are doing across the state. Right. Now, one of the other um, uh, perks, uh, but also really opportunities for the Teacher of the Year is you now have a seat on the State Board of Education. I do. And uh, just, uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago, there was a conversation about the, the state plan under the Every Student Succeeds Act, and there was a, a fair amount of discussion. You weren't the only one, but concerns about over-testing and that the plan continue to rely, well, not just on testing, but also school performance grades. So right. um, tell me a little bit more about why you spoke up on that issue. Uh, well, I've had the unique opportunity of seeing testing through many different lenses. Of course, I'm a product of public education myself, but back in the day, we had, I think, the CAT test was right. the only thing we really took. Um, and then I'm a parent of, of students that went through public education. And I was a teacher, of course, but I was also an assistant principal and I was the testing coordinator on my campus. Uh, so I, I've seen how it impacts uh, all the different people, um, children, teachers, um, even parents. And uh, I, I do feel like there's just too much time being spent on testing and not enough on instruction. So I think what the comment was uh, quoted from that meeting was, you know, we need to grow the elephant, but we don't grow it by weighing it, we grow it by feeding it. And what we're concentrating on in the state right now is weighing it. Um, just an example of, of when I was the testing coordinator, I, I felt like I was doing so much testing that I actually sat down with a calendar and highlighted all the days that were spent with testing on my campus and out of 180 days there were 94 days spent with some wow. sort of testing and not just teacher-driven testing this was all oh, state sure. um, you know field testing WIDA testing M-class testing um, district uh, quarterly testing 94 days now you know we are getting you know a lot of comments that teachers aren't teaching our kids well, they're not being given the opportunity to teach. Well, that's a, that's a good, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, do you, look, it's no surprise that we've seen, to you, we've mm -hmm. seen a decline in students choosing to go into the teaching profession, going into our schools of education. That's one way we can measure it. Right. Do you think that the, the testing climate is one of the reasons that uh, may be deterring teachers or maybe having forcing some that say, look, I want to do something else? Yeah. I think that it's the dialogue that they're hearing in the public. You know, uh, the, the dialogue that public education is broken. You know, nobody wants to go into a field where they feel like it's broken. And, and I, when I go and visit these schools of education, I had an opportunity to go to Appalachian State University this past weekend and speak uh, to their their future teachers. And, and I told them, you know, public education is not broken. You know, there, there are some aspects that need to be strengthened, but don't let the chatter, don't let the noise of uh, the media and of, of people in the public 
uh, deter them from doing what their passion is. And I do feel like teaching is a calling and we do need to make it a viable career choice for our, our upcoming teachers and we want to make sure that they see an end goal. Um, and, and that means support through salaries, not just in the beginning years, but on through 10 years and more, on um, to 20, 25, and 30. We'd like to see them retiring in the state of North Carolina. Right. Now, you mentioned when you said about weighing, uh, weighing the elephant versus feeding it. Uh, yes. Now, feeding the elephant, um, part of that can, is resources. Uh, mm -hmm. You and I were chatting before we started. What's the, uh, what's the supplies budget at uh, Dixon Elementary School? Uh, well, I, I've heard this year there's no supply money um, being given to the teachers directly. Mm -hmm. um, in conversation yesterday with one of our representatives, I, I did hear, you know, there is money allocated through the state for supplies. Um, like it's supposed to be, I think, $30 per child uh, for the year, something to that effect. Um, but by the time the money trickles down to the local uh, districts, it's already underfunded. We're already underfunded. Right, right. And so it's one of those where they're having to prioritize. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, things like construction paper and glue sticks and, and, and just those things that you need to get a, a classroom up and running aren't really priority. But to a teacher, it is because they're the ones that are going out and having to purchase those items or parents having to go out and purchase the items. Well, well last question, what, what, is in, what is the state of the teaching profession today when you talk to teachers? Sort of what's the, sort of where, where are we? Well, you know, again, we aren't in it, you know, for the, the money or for the fame. We're in it for the children. I still see that passion, that purpose um, in, in each of those teachers that I visit, the campuses that I go to see. You know, they love their kids and they're going to they're gonna push through whatever is going on um, politically or, or um, financially. They're, they're going to make it happen. But, you know, should we make them do that? I mean, no. We need to support them. We need to make sure that they realize that they're, they're valuable and, and that their voices are being heard. Right. Um, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Oh, I know we're already okay. out of time. See how fast it goes. It does you, go Thank fast. you for what you do. Thank you for being a teacher thank and thank you. you for being a wonderful ambassador for thank our North you. Carolina teachers. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. When we come back, we're going to preview an upcoming NCAACP education forum with Terrence Ruth and Dudley Flood. But first, see if you can answer this question. The national average for per pupil spending in 2017 by states is $11,984. How much will North Carolina spend this year? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer C, $8,900? North Carolina will spend about $2,500 less per student this year than the national average. Now, joining us now to talk about an upcoming, upcoming education forum hosted by the North Carolina NAACP are Dr. Dudley Flood. Dr. Flood is a consultant and retired educator. Um, and Dr. Terrence Ruth. Uh, Dr. Ruth is the executive director of the North Carolina NAACP. Now, Dr. Ruth, I'm going to start with you first. The NAACP is hosting its annual meeting here in Raleigh, October 5th through the 7th, but you're, as part of the kickoff of the event, 
you're hosting an education forum. What's the focus of it, and, and, and why are you doing it? Well, actually, on my, my second week on the job, I had a chance to go to the national uh, conference in Baltimore. And at that conference, they had a task force that went across the country, and they, their whole goal was to look at the quality of edu education, both in charter and public schools. So they had a diverse audience, and they had town hall meetings. And they discussed what can the charter school and public school offer low-performing minority and poor students. And so this particular education forum on October the 6th, Friday, um, is to address these same issues in North Carolina. So we're looking to replicate that model here in the States with, a, with an impressive panel of uh, NCAE uh, president, uh, yeah, you've got a good, I've got your list here. You've got a great group. Well, you got, you've got our friend Mevin Rash from Ed NC is going to moderate it, but you've got Mark Jewell, the president of NCAE. You've got uh, Dr. Marvin Connolly here from Wake Schools. Uh, Eric Hall, who we just mentioned a minute ago from the Innovative School District. So a lot of, a lot of good, and of course this, uh, uh, this, this friend of the show, uh, Dr. Dudley Flood will be on it. But you, this will be a chance for people to talk about what are the different strategies, sort of, you know, candidly, what's working, what's not working, what should we be doing differently? Yes, and so it'll take three segments. The first one, we'll just look at the history of poor minority students in the state. And so we'll ask the panel, let's, you know, what's the goal? What's the goal here and where are we coming from? The second part of it is looking at the achievement gap. So the gap that we see, how are we addressing those issues from their particular area of expertise? The final part, we will look at the, the new legislation that looks at the ISD and how will that particular program impact public and charter schools. Right. And so we'll take them through those three segments. Good deal. Dr. Flood, welcome back. Thank you. First three-timer um, <laughs> on, on our show. Um, now, the NAACP is the nation's oldest, most respected civil rights organization. This is an education form. Is education a civil rights issue? Education is the vehicle through which all of society manages to determine what its values are, what its structure will be, and uh, to visit its history in one way or another. It is the one institution in which each of us has a stake. You cannot be excluded from education in, in, in America, but clearly not in North Carolina. Uh, you make a choice as to which church you attend, which club you join. Uh, we all go to school one way or another. So the only vehicle for bringing us together, in my mind, is education. Now, the impact that public schools have had on the whole notion of, of citizenship and citizenry is evident in the fact that we are so far along right now, in spite of not being where many of us think we should be, than we would have been had we not done a major, major transformation of our public schools years ago. Uh, we've, we've begun to lose some traction because I, I don't know that we've paid the kind of attention that we previously did to that particular element of education. Uh, but that notwithstanding, we're so much better off as a state because of those things which were done through the educational structure than we would have been. Right, and, and of course, you were. We've, we've talked to you before on the show. You were part of that effort. I mean, in terms of uh, desegregation um, yes. of our schools, there are concerns that have been voiced about um, that we maybe taking some steps backward in that. Does that bother you? Do you think we are um, slipping? Being the optimist that I am, <laughs> uh, I think there are remedies. Uh, there isn't a question that's been a recapitulation of behavior. Uh, we understand that. We know why. Uh, we know the elements, and we know how to recover from that if there's the will to do so. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of will. Uh, it has been that all along. And North Carolina once led the nation without question and how it had grown toward 
the integration and the desegregation of its public schools. The spinoff of that was that the whole society was modified through that structure. So uh, we relaxed a little after having done so about the mid-70s. We said, oh, we're through with that now. We'll pay attention to something else. Anything that's not maintained is going to deteriorate. Doesn't matter whether it's your car, your house, anything else is not maintained. We didn't maintain it. Right. So we'll, there'll have to be a revisitation. And my hope is with collaboration with groups like the NAACP and others, we can regenerate that enthusiasm we had for being a civil society. Right. Dr. Ruth. Four weeks ago, about four weeks ago, Charlottesville. You talked, Dr. Flood just mentioned about uh, maybe we, we took our eye off the ball a little bit. You think um, as bad as it was, what happened in Charlottesville, you think it's a wake-up call? You think some folks maybe are, are recognizing that we have some, maybe we still have some deep issues that we have to bring up? It, I, I agree that there was a wake-up call, um, but I think individuals are still blind to the deeper policies that will uh, end up in creating these discrepancies in learning outcomes, discrepancies in social economic status, discrepancies in racial equity. And so I, I think, you know, the NAACP in North Carolina has been pushing people uh, to, to open up their eyes not only to the horrific events that occurred, but also to uh, the policies the that systems, people are voting the for. The policies, right, right. The, um, let's, I want to make, make sure we have, let our viewers know that, that one, this event that you're having, um, I think it's, is it Friday, October 5th, I believe? Uh, October 6th. 6th, okay. Mm -hmm. Go, you can find you how? On Facebook? Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, also, if you go to Eventbrite and you just search for uh, The Great Debate. The Great okay. Debate. And I, and I should point out that um, it's, if you're an NAACP member, it's free. If you're a student, it's free. But it's only $10. Only $10. So um, <laughs> a good opportunity, like I said, for, um, yes. for I think for all of us to, uh, uh, to engage, yes. maybe re-engage yes. um, in, in some of these issues, understand the, uh, the importance of education yes. uh, as a civil rights issue. So, yes. But uh, thank you for, for being here today, and thanks for, thank uh, you. for all you're doing. We appreciate it. Thank you. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week we spotlight Russell Holloman in Franklinton. We were a school of only around four or 500 just about 10 years ago, and now we are at 1,100 and growing by 60 to 70 students a year. The Wake Forest in North Raleigh is kind of growing our direction. And so as people move here, you know, they're definitely looking for additional honors and AP offerings, um, also what kinds of hands-on technical education programs we can offer, college preparatory programs, making sure that we are you know, meeting all of those needs so that when students come here and apply to an Ivy League school or Chapel Hill NC State, or go to Vance Granville Community College or the workforce, they are equally prepared. They used to come to school, high school and just to kind of work towards a diploma. Now we really see that that change, especially in the last decade, has shifted towards you know, really a 
a focused preparatory program, whether it's work focus, career technical education focus, college focus, but learning has changed. It used to be a much more sit and get type of learning environment where you had the talking head in front of the classroom and then their job was to basically disseminate knowledge and you took notes and then you studied and you took a test and that proved if you understood something. Now learning is much more interactive. We have classes in our career and technical education department, pharmacy tech, culinary arts, ag mechanics, advanced manufacturing. Our kids either are going out to provide some service, or we actually have local community partners who are coming in. There's a company called Searcy in Youngsville, which does a lot of forensic technology and equipment. Um, you know, they've come to our school and actually partnered with our forensic science class to actually do labs for fingerprint analysis. Even though we're changing, even though we're growing, um, we want to maintain that community connection and that community feel. If you know someone or a program that needs deserves to be recognized on the show, visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. For my final word today, I want to talk to you about two comments I'm starting to hear more and more in education discussions. The first one is, college isn't for everyone. This comment often comes up in discussions about how our universities need to be held more accountable. There have been proposals floated here in North Carolina, and in other states for that matter, to, to tie state funding of public universities to job placement. Now, on one hand, I understand a college education is increasingly a very expensive proposition, and we want folks to be gainfully employed after college. But here's what bugs me about this comment. First of all, the idea that college isn't for everyone is almost always cloaks an overall indictment of the value of any liberal arts degree. And I don't say that just because I have one. Um, I recall when former Governor Pat McCrory visited UNC Chapel Hill and looked around the campus and said, you know what, we really need are more truck drivers and not more psychologists, sociologists, lawyers, and journalists. Funny thing, the folks who often make these comments that college isn't for everyone are usually graduates of four-year colleges themselves. And generally, they're sending their own children to four-year universities. So when they say college isn't for everyone, exactly whose kids are they talking about? Now, look, the college isn't for everyone statement isn't completely false, it's just a little disingenuous. It's much easier to sell the notion that college isn't for everyone than it is to muster the political will, like Dr. Flood said, to adequately invest in early childhood, in K-12 education, so that all of our children are prepared as if they are all going to college, and then to invest in higher education and make college more affordable and accessible. The other phrase I'm kind of tired of hearing more and more is those who, and usually I hear it from those who describe themselves as education reformers, is that this insert new law policy here is about the children in the schools, not the adults. It's usually said when someone questions the new policy. Now, anyone who makes the comment this is about the children, not the adults, obviously hasn't spent a lot of time in our schools or know many teachers, since the obvious suggestion is the adults in the school building or the district office, or at the Department of Public Instruction for that matter, don't care about the children, they're just in it for themselves. And it just kind of burns me up when I hear it. Because I know that there are teachers that are working two jobs and scraping together their own cash to buy supplies for their under-resourced classrooms 
who frankly can't stop thinking about the children, their students, night and day. That is their focus. Frankly, I wish we made education policy in this state with a quarter of the passion and commitment to children that our teachers display every day. That's it for this week's show. Next week, we're going to look at the General Assembly's new principal pay plan that is getting very mixed reviews across the state. You'll definitely want to tune in. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.